Welcome in, everybody, to episode 138 of the podcast that is sweeping America, the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Okay, so it is Monday. We have kind of a show that's all over the place today. So we go from one thing to the other, to the other, to the other. Starting at the top, I am going to talk a little bit about the Eric Musselman hire at Arkansas. Now, so many of you who listen to this show, you know that I know Muss. I've had Muss on this show before and really excited to talk about what I think he will do at Arkansas, why I think it's a good hire. A lot of Arkansas fans that that listen to this show or follow me kind of want some details on the hire. So I am going to provide them here Also talk a little bit about what I think Nevada should do, because I do think Nevada has a very clear-cut choice. I don't think it's a debate. I don't think it's a conversation. They have a guy that they need to go hire. I'll talk a little bit about that. Next, I will bring in Nick Coffey, my whole buddy Nick Coffey. Remember him? He used to come on all the time. Now our schedules, they don't jive as well as he does the morning show Uh, in Louisville. It makes him less flexible and less available, but I'm going to have Nick on. We're going to talk about everything that happened over the weekend at the actual Final Four. So we will talk about Auburn. We will talk about um, the loss that they had, uh, the controversy surrounding it, why I am so disappointed in the NCAA, in the referees, things of that nature. We will talk about Texas Tech, the brand that Chris Beard is building, and then we'll look ahead to the national championship game. Uh, He and I have different picks and predictions for who we think is going to win the national championship and so it'll be interesting to see it'll be fun to see uh if Nick and I uh who's right and who's wrong and then after that we will actually wrap the show with something completely different so I was on Radio Row last week at the Final Four uh the sponsor of last week's show House of Q which is also today's sponsor we'll get to them in a minute they sent me to the Final Four I got a couple great interviews. So first, I got Murray State head coach Matt McMahon. For those of you who are longtime listeners, this is actually Matt McMahon's second appearance on the show. Uh, He was awesome. We talked about John Morant. We talked about this past season. How did he discover John Morant? All that stuff. And then, oh, by the way, you know how I know Matt McMahon's a cool guy? Because he quoted one of my tweets on the back end. He said, Aaron, I love your tweets. You're unbelievable. You crack me up. You're hysterical. Keep up the great work. So I love Matt McMahon. I love that man. And he joins the show at the end. Wisconsin head coach Greg Gard joins the show at the end. Both of those interviews done live from Radio Row. Now, before we get into that, I did just mention that last episode was sponsored by my good friends at House of Q. Today's episode, sponsored by my good friends at House of Q. It is a restaurant chain in Kentucky. We have so many great fans that listen to this show in Kentucky, in the state of Tennessee, all over. But today's episode is brought to you by House of Q. And if you are looking for the best bite to eat in central Kentucky, look no further than House of Q, located just off Interstate 89 in Irvine. House of Q brings you the best barbecue this side of Lexington with 100% all-natural meats cooked on a wood stove and made to order. Fan favorites at House of Q include the All-American Burger, Pork Shoulder, Beef Brisket, and Baby Back Ribs, all for under $19.99. I am getting hungry just talking about it, people. The best part is if you can't make it to Irvin, House of Q now has a stand at the new Kentucky Proud Stadium, which is the home of the Kentucky Wildcats baseball team. So whether you're in Irvine or at the ballpark, ask for Sean and tell him Aaron Torres sent you. That's House of Q, that's C-U-E, located in Irvine and Kentucky's Proud Park. They are the sponsors of today's show, and we want to thank you for that. So thank you to House of Q. Thank you for sending me to the Final Four. Uh, Please subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. For those of you that are new this season, 
I don't stop talking basketball ever, okay? So we will continue to talk basketball as NBA draft decisions are made, as um, transfers are done, as NBA draft season gets here. We're going to talk basketball all throughout. So please make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can rate and review the show. Five stars are, of course, welcomed and encouraged. Uh, Make sure to follow me on Twitter at Aaron underscore Torres. Make sure to follow us on the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast Instagram page at Aaron underscore Torres underscore Sports Podcast. All right, so let's get into it. Because before we talk Final Four, I do want to talk a little bit about this must to Arkansas hire. So I kind of got after it. On last episode, I kind of, I don't know if I teased it, but here's what happened is, is as I was getting ready to go to the Final Four last week, there's this report out that Eric Musselman is set to meet with Arkansas, or at least that there's interest from Arkansas with Eric Musselman as the head coach. What ends up happening is we get to the end of the day Tuesday, Muss puts out a few tweets that he's staying in Reno, his wife puts out a tweet that he's staying in Reno, um, and that nothing had come of the reports. I never bought that, I never believed it, and I was told that the Eric Musselman-Arkansas deal wasn't done just because uh, an agreement didn't come into place last Tuesday. And so this is my understanding of how it all went down, is I believe and I was told that throughout this process, since Arkansas decided to fire Mike Anderson, Kelvin Sampson was the obvious name from Houston, he said no, but the super obvious home run grand slam name was Chris Beard. And some of you would ask if you're not an Arkansas fan, why Chris Beard? Like, why would Chris Beard leave Texas Tech for Arkansas? But keep in mind, Chris Beard was at Little Rock before he went to Texas Tech. And so obviously there's a big overlap between fan bases in Little Rock. There's obviously a ton of Arkansas fans in Little Rock. A lot of boosters know him. And I was told that behind the scenes, there was really a major push to get Chris Beard. And I was also told that at various points throughout the season, Chris Beard and his people reciprocated that interest. But what ended up happening? Well, you can guess what ended up happening. Chris Beard was awesome, as he always is. Arkansas, or excuse me, Texas Tech makes a run in the tournament. They beat Michigan in the Sweet 16. They beat Gonzaga in the Elite Eight. And Arkansas fans start, I don't want to say started to worry, but they had to start to look at other options. And that was when they interviewed Musk, they interviewed Greg Marshall, and they tried to figure out, okay, what is plan B if we can't get Chris Beard? And so finally on Saturday, when Texas Tech beat Michigan State to advance to the national championship game, that was finally when Arkansas fans and boosters, and I think the administration just said, okay, like we have to move on to plan B. We cannot sit around and wait for Chris Beard because let's be honest, it was always going to be hard to get Chris Beard away from Texas Tech because Texas Tech is going to pay whatever they can to keep him. But now that he's made a Final Four, now that he's made a national championship, like it's gonna, you're not going to get Chris Beard away from Arkansas. Now look, maybe if, if Kansas opens up with Bill Self or Kentucky were to somehow open up with John Calipari, which isn't going to happen because John Calipari just got a lifetime contract, like if those jobs opened up, then yeah, like maybe Chris Beard would leave, but he's not going to leave for a job like Arkansas, and he's certainly not going to leave after the team is in the Final Four. And so because of that, Arkansas moved on to Plan B, and things got fast and furious with Eric Musselman on Sunday morning. By Sunday night, we found out that Eric Musselman is the new head coach at the University of Arkansas. There will be a press conference on Monday. All right, so that is where we are. Here is what I want to talk about. I want to talk about why I love 
this hire of Eric Musselman. So look, you guys know, listen, I've had Muss on this show a few times. You know I like him. Um, I'm not saying this because I've had Muss on the show. I'm not saying it because... Uh, you know, I, I, I consider him a friend, although I, I do like Muss. I, I don't know that I would call him a friend, but I do like him. Um, I'm saying it because it's facts. Is I think this is a great hire for Arkansas. And I did see some frustration from Arkansas fans. I do think it stems from the very simple fact of they thought they might get Chris Beard. And Chris Beard's awesome. And when he's blowing through the Sweet 16 and he's blowing through the Elite Eight, oh my goodness, if we can get this guy, imagine how amazing it would be. But like I said... I do think that at some point Arkansas fans had to move to plan B, which is exactly what they did with Eric Musselman. I think, by the way, he's a heck of a plan B. And so for an Arkansas fan tuning in for the first time, or hopefully you're all listening all the time, but if you've never listened to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, let me tell you a little bit about Eric Musselman. So Eric Musselman um, has, in four years, become just a rock star in college basketball. He's obviously got a unique background, something that we talked about on this show. By the way, if you want to go through the archives, Arkansas fans, I had Muss on in late May, right around the NBA draft deadline. And I also had him on in, what was it? Probably about early September, mid-September, right before the season started as well. And I also had him on in December, by the way, as well. So go back, listen to those episodes. But the reason that I bring it up is very simple. It is because of the fact that I do believe that Eric Musselman is going to be really successful at Arkansas. And why I say that is this. I've never been around a guy that is as laser-focused on basketball and winning as Eric Musselman. This is a guy that, I'm telling you, I went to their practice in the fall. I have never seen a group of guys work as hard as Eric Musselman's team did at Nevada. I've been to practices at UCLA, at Kentucky, at Indiana. Every practice is a little bit different, right? I'm not saying one is better or worse, but our uh, uh, Nevada practices were insane. It was two, two and a half hours, whatever is allowed by the NCAA, of nonstop, wall-to-wall, never-ending Um, just insanity. I mean, just absolute insanity. Every guy moving the entire practice, four or five courts on a practice court, guys uh, doing different drills, then rotating. And it was just one of those, like, I didn't, like, there was so much to watch. Like, I had a notebook and there was no notes to take because everything was happening so fast. And so I love the intensity with, with which he brings to every day in practice. I love the intensity that he brings to games every single day and to recruiting and to all of the variables that come with it. And I truly believe that this is about as good as Arkansas could have done. I mean, this is a guy that went to the Sweet 16 last year that has made three straight NCAA tournaments. I know the Mountain West is not as tough as the SEC, but it's not easy to make three straight tournaments, even in a league where it's a one-bid league. That's not easy to do, and Muss has made it look easy. And oh, by the way, it's not as though... um, you know, even in dominating the league that, that he, um, you know, that, that he wasn't successful early on. I mean, he was a head coach for four years at Nevada. He had 110 wins, which means he averaged like 27 wins a year. His first year, the team goes from nine wins to 24, then 28, and then 29 each of the last two years. And so I'm telling you, 
This guy is a stud. He is going to flip this program on his head, and because of his force of personality, um, it's just going to happen. Like Arkansas, it's just. I'm telling you, Arkansas fans, just appreciate this. Stop worrying about Chris Beard. It was probably not going to happen, and embrace Musk because Musk is one of the hardest working. Um, just. He's just a basketball nut, and he eats, sleeps, and breathes basketball. It's all he's thinking about. He doesn't golf. He doesn't, um, you know, do what other whatever other people do in their free time. I don't get the sense that he watches very many TV shows. It is basketball, 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 365 days a year with this guy. And that is why he has had so much success in such a short time at Nevada. I will be curious to see how he builds the Arkansas program. That's another question I'm getting. Well, how does he recruit? Look, he is going to focus on transfers. That's just what works for him. That doesn't mean that if a big-time recruit becomes available, or in the case of Arkansas, there are big-time recruits within the state or guys that he believes he can get, yeah, he is going to go after those guys full speed ahead. But that's not to say that uh, the four-year college guys are the ones that he's going to go after. That's just not how he operates. I think that he's found a very nice little niche with this transfer market. And a lot of you probably are freaking out. Oh, you know, transfers, it's so bad. And First of all, when you see the results, you're not going to complain because ultimately it's all about winning. And as long as you're doing it above board, as long as you're not breaking any rules, who cares how you get players, right? Whether they're a high school player, a transfer, a JUCO kid, international, American, who cares? If you're winning, you're winning. But on top of that, I think he's created a system that really works. And what's been interesting is being around the program it is a very refined system. A lot of these guys come in, they have to sit out a year. In that year, um, you know, they have to go to class and, and work out, and they really use it as a a year to kind of develop players and develop people. And so, in a lot of ways, it works out better. Rather than bringing an 18-year-old kid to a college campus, throwing him into the fire, asking him to be a star from day one, a kid gets to come to campus for a year. A lot of times they have a chip on their shoulder because the last place didn't work out for whatever reason. They have something to prove. And oh, by the way, they got to sit out for a year. So they get to know the campus. They get to know the coaching staff. They get to know their teammates. They get to know the system. It doesn't take two months at the beginning of the year to install plays and defenses and stuff like that because they were sitting there in all off uh, their entire transfer season learning that stuff. And so it works for Muss. And I think he's going to have great success with it. Uh, again, if, 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 if you think that the only way to build a college basketball program is through four-year players, you'll probably be pissed off by Musk. But if you think that there are multiple ways to win and the only thing that you care about is winning and you know uh, uh, doing it whatever way possible as long as it's above board – uh, then who cares? So to me, I don't understand this fascination with like, oh, you know, well, well, he takes transfers, and I, I don't know how I feel about that. Just, just roll with it. It's okay. It's going to be okay. But I do believe transfers are going to be the mode of of operation, and I do believe, by the way, this guy is going to win. Now, a lot of Arkansas fans have asked me like, oh, you know, well, well, what's realistic expectations, and and how soon until we're a national power? And like, what I say is like. I don't really know if Arkansas is going to be a national power under Musk. I don't know, and that's not a knock on him, and that's not a knock on Arkansas. I think what it's what the reality of the situation is, is that um, is that it's really hard right now to win in the SEC. And so, to me, that's kind of my biggest concern, and where I'm at with this whole situation is, 
is it at all possible um, that Eric Musselman is just walking into a brutal SEC? I think it is, and that's why, oh, by the way, I am not going to sit here and, and guarantee that Mus. oh, you know, he's going to have the Arkansas the second-best program behind Kentucky within a year. I don't know if that's going to happen because let's not forget, he's going to have to go against Rick Barnes maybe every week, depending on Rick Barnes. Apparently there's a report that UCLA is interested. Uh, he's going to have to go against Bruce Pearl. He's going to have to go against Mike White, maybe Will Wade, depending on how things go. Ben Howland, Frank Martin. There are no easy – Buzz Williams, by the way – there are no easy nights in the SEC. And so because of it, I don't know like where Arkansas is going to be and how good they'll be and how quickly. I'll tell you this. The fan that was frustrated with Mike Anderson will not be frustrated with Eric Musselman. I'll tell you why. Mike Anderson, for and he was a great guy, a great person, a great man. But the one thing that you could expect from Arkansas was flat-out inconsistency. Some years you'd be great, some years you'd be terrible, some years you'd get hot in February, some years you'd lose four out of five in January. Like, you just never, there was never any consistency. The one thing about a must-coach team, they're going to play hard, they're going to value the basketball, they're going to play great defense. Um, It's not going to happen overnight, but they are going to play a more, uh, one, aesthetically pleasing brand of college basketball, two, They aren't going to be mistake-filled. They aren't going to regress throughout the season. They aren't going to have these wild peaks and valleys like Mike Anderson. I think they're going to be really good. And so to me, again, I don't want to promise anything um, in terms of, oh, by year two, they'll definitely be in the tournament, and by year four, they might be in the Final Four. Like, I can't promise that. All I can tell you is that Arkansas will be vastly improved they will they will not make the same dumb mistakes over and over as they have and I do believe that by year two they will be somewhat competitive and I do believe that by year three they they'll probably be in the tournament if they don't make it year two and I do believe that when they get to the tournament they're going to have a chance to win games and go to the second weekend I don't know if they'll make a final four I can't promise national championships But there aren't very many guys at any job that you hire that you can promise. I mean, look, Buzz Williams is considered a quote-unquote better hire than Eric Musselman. Buzz Williams never been to a Final Four. I can't promise you that Buzz Williams is going to make a Final Four. Like, I can't do that. And so to me, I'm just telling you is I think this guy is going to be really good. I think this guy is going to be successful. I think he is a great hire for Arkansas. I'm about to bring on Nick Coffey in a minute. Before I do, I really do want to hit quickly on what Nevada should do next because that's kind of the next question, right? Eric Musselman's gone. Nevada's on the clock. What is Nevada going to do? So I think Nevada, it's actually a no-brainer, right? I I think that the inclination by the fan base is they want, oh, we got to go get the biggest name. And, And Musselman came, you know, he was in the NBA and we... Stop. You don't. Because here's the bottom line. Here's the truth about the Nevada job. And this isn't disrespectful. It's not intended to be disrespectful to Nevada fans. But I do have to be honest with you. I'm just going to say it, and I hate to be mean. Your job is not as good as you think it is, okay? And the reason that I say that is very simple, is because if you look at the Mountain West, um, if you look at the Mountain West, the bottom line is that Nevada doesn't have the best resources, doesn't have the best history, doesn't pay the best, uh, 
it's not the greatest job. It, even by Mountain West standards, it's not elite. Now, Eric Musselman made it elite, right? But historically, it's not better than UNLV. Resource-wise, it's not better than New Mexico. Now, it's become that way because of Eric Musselman. So why do I bring it up? It's because the fans want, oh, we want a big name. Let's go get Steve Alford. No, just no on Steve Alford. And I'm telling you this as somebody who has spent a ton of time around Steve Alford when he was in Los Angeles. Steve Alford would be, um, it just wouldn't be good. Let me just put it to you that way. Steve Alford to Nevada wouldn't be good. He's a quiet guy. He doesn't really do the media stuff. All the excitement that Eric Musselman created in that Reno community will go out the window in one day if Steve Alford is hired as the next head coach. And I like Steve, but he's not accessible. He's not very outwardly personable. I think he's a nice guy. I don't know that he's outwardly personable, though. Um, you know, and, and he's not going to create the same buzz that Eric Musselman did. A lot of people are calling for David Padgett. He's a Reno guy. He's from Reno. Uh, he obviously coached in the ACC at Louisville. I like David Padgett. He's been on this show. He's not the guy Nevada needs to call. The guy Nevada needs to call is actually very simple. He's already on the staff. His name's Gus Arsenal. Gus is, for people who don't know, he's a former D2 head coach. He was Eric Musselman's lead assistant for the last two years. He's the guy that brought in a ton of the recruits that are currently on the roster, which, oh, by the way, Nevada actually has some talent coming in next year. Jordan Brown, the McDonald's All-American, will be back. Uh, they got a, a transfer from Pitt named Shamil Stevenson, who's pretty good. Um, Lindsey Drew, who was the starting point guard two years ago, uh, will be back from injury. He was hurt all this season. Jalen Harris, a transfer from La Tech, really, really, really good. And so what I'm saying is this. I'm not saying to hire him just to keep the players currently on campus. On campus, What I'm saying is this, is he is a guy – he has head coaching experience, albeit it's not the D1 level, but that's not a be-all, end-all. The players love him. The players will run through a wall for him. I don't believe that recruiting will drop off with him in a way that it would have without, in a way that, it, like, I don't think that everyone was only coming because of Eric Musselman, and now that he's gone, the program's going to fall apart. Now, what I do believe is the program will fall apart if you go outside of the current active Nevada family. Go get Steve Alford. I'm telling you, in two weeks it'll all be gone. Half the team will transfer. Kids that maybe were going to commit, and there were some big names that were ready to commit to this program. They ain't coming. You, wanna, you want to see a program just disintegrate, go from the highest of the highs, three straight Mountain West titles, to, I don't want to say the basement, but I'm saying starting over. Go hire Steve Alford. And I like Steve. He's a good guy. He's a good coach. But he isn't the right fit for this program. He isn't the right fit to replace Eric Musselman. Gus Arsenal is the guy. He's the guy that the players want. He's the guy that the players believe in. He can continue to build this brand. I'll tell you this. Credit Coach Musk, because I don't think anybody has used social media over the past four, five, uh, six months, year, two years, whatever, than Eric Musselman. He has created so much interest, so much excitement. Um, and I'm just telling you, Steve Alford doesn't maintain that excitement. David Padgett doesn't maintain that excitement. Gus Arsenal will be out there. He will be out in the community. He will keep the team together. He will continue to recruit at an elite level. I think a lot of the staff will stay with him 
And I think it, it's basically he'll just move over one seat. I think a lot of the assistant coaches will remain. The players will remain. That will not happen if you hire Steve Alford. So that is all. I love the must-hire at Arkansas, and I truly believe that Gus Arjunal should be the next head coach in Nevada. By the way, if you have any questions, you can always send them to me, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter about this stuff. Uh, you can email me, atorres00. Uh, but that is all on Arkansas and Muss. I didn't plan on doing 25 minutes on the Arkansas coaching job off the top, especially with the national championship game. But that feels like a good place to stop. Um, that is all for now. I want to thank House of Q again as our sponsor. Later in the show, I should remind you, Matt McMahon, head coach, Murray State, Greg Gard, head coach, Wisconsin. Both were done live at Radio Row. Now, I will welcome on Nick Coffey, who's here to talk about this Final Four, the national championship game, and I'll probably throw him a question or two on Musk. Thanks, guys. All right, and joining me on the phone now, the rare mid-show appearance from Nick Coffey. So Nick Coffey, of course, you can hear him every day, Monday through Friday, 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern, my good friend, 790 KRD in Louisville. It's been a while. We recorded last week. It got screwed up. It da 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 da. Long story short, Nick, how is life? What what have you been up to? I feel like I haven't talked to you in forever. Well, life's good. Uh, you know, I have no real complaints. It's one of those things. Like the things I would, and this is going to sound so braggadocious, but like the things <laughs> I would complain about would eventually it would be known that I really don't have anything to complain about. I'm a pretty uh, pretty fortunate guy, so no complaints here. But as I've said for the last month. You know, the ending of college basketball is never a good thing for me. But it's also, you know, I guess this is what I do to try to make myself feel better about the whole thing. Like, I'm anxious for draft talk, uh, the decisions of college players, should they come back, should they go. So it's kind of one of those things that now that not, and you can even throw in the whole grad transfer thing, that we actually, you know, once the season ends, there's still a lot of content out there for you and I to dive into. So, um with, with all that said, a very long-winded way of me saying I'm doing well, and, and I'm happy to be here again. Yeah, and I, I would say this, is that I think uh, as I cover college hoops more and more, and you know, when I was at FoxSports.com, it was much more heavy in college football, but as time has gone on, life changes, um, you know, job situation changes, whatever, and I've been more invested in college basketball, and what I would say, Nick, is I actually tend to agree with you, is that more and more it is becoming a 365-day-a-year sport, um, just from the perspective that um, you know, like uh, you have the season, then after the season you have NBA draft declarations, but so many guys declare now that you don't really have a great feel for who's actually going to be back in college basketball until the middle of May or June. Uh, you have summer recruiting. By the way, you got high school kids that are sometimes reclassifying like an Ashton Hagen's up a class. So all of a sudden you have good players coming in you weren't expecting. Uh, and it's like it does feel like outside of like a small window, maybe in like August and September, this really is a sport that even though people, you know, it's funny, people like claim, oh, like it, nationally it doesn't resonate. Like maybe that's the case. But with each individual ones of these markets, whether it is Lexington, whether it is Louisville, whether it is Lawrence, Kansas, whether it is uh, Reno, Nevada, which we're going to get into in a minute. I feel like people are really invested in their programs, maybe not 365 days a year, but I do think it's like 9 or 10 of the 12 months, which is insane since the season is about five months long. Yeah, I think once, um, and I guess this is the fact that we're going to have two teams play for the whole thing, and whoever wins is going to be the first time they've ever done it. In fact, first Final Four for Texas Tech ever. Virginia's been a long time since they've been good. I think 
once fan bases get a taste of college basketball success, then I think they, you know, they have the the hunger for more of it. And I don't know if that's what's led into it, but uh, yeah, it's I, I, to me what you said at the beginning is spot on. That I don't think we we would be saying ten years ago, and that is that it's not to the level of football as far as being a three hundred sixty five day a year thing, but it's certainly growing closer to that over the last few years. Well, let's get into it. Uh, one of those communities, you know, I spent a lot of time at the top of the show talking about Eric Musselman to Arkansas, and I kind of shared my opinions. And obviously, Nick, you haven't had a chance to hear yet, but I'll just say really quick, and I want to throw it over to you because you have been on this must-bust journey with me. Uh, and then, of course, we'll talk about this, this national semifinals, the national championship game wrap-up, whatever. But you and I have been on this must-bust journey. Um, I introduced Coach Muss to your audience on 790 KRD in Louisville um, a year ago when Louisville was looking for a head coach. And I said, hey, if, if Chris Mack uh, doesn't work out, this is the guy they should consider. And so uh, w- you and I have taken the must-bust journey together. Um, I said at the top of the show, I think it's a really good hire for Arkansas. He's different. Um, he's going to make this team competitive by sheer force of will. It may be a little different with transfers as opposed to high school players. It may be a little different than what fans have expected. But I do think overall, Muss will be good at Arkansas. Maybe not great because the whole SEC is great right now. But just real quick, we can get into like the bigger picture of the SEC if you want to. But in the small picture, your experience following Muss, uh, following Nevada, and now as he heads to Arkansas in the SEC. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure what it is he's inheriting uh, and how long it's going to take him to get back to where they want to be, but I won't be shocked in any way if five years from now you look at all the other hires that were made and this will be looked at as one where, you know, Arkansas maybe got one of the best. It's not that Arkansas is not a good job, but when you you see a job like UCLA open up and to see how close he was to that campus as far as what he was doing in Nevada, you know, he might be a guy they wish they would have, they would have, they would have come after. So, uh, as you and I have talked about him, and you you were the one who kind of put me on to him, you know, over a year ago. And although they didn't really have the year most expected in Nevada this past year, um, he still has, you know, put that program in a really good spot. And in fact, I told you this last week. I've got a my uncle, um, Uncle Mark, seventy years old. <laughs> yeah. He lives in Fayetteville. He's a big time fan. And you know, as soon as I saw him on Friday, we went for lunch. And I guess at that point, he was he was well aware that it wasn't going to be Kelvin Sampson. And he wanted me to tell him uh, all about Eric Musselman, and he didn't even know him. Even know in what we do, just assumed I would think. I guess what I'm saying is he was surprised how much I knew really? about Musselman, and uh, I think it's safe to say that uh, I have sold him on the hire. That's good. Yeah, I don't know if the rest of the the fan base is sold, and and you know I I was a little surprised. Um, and look, you know I I think I don't know how closely you followed this, Nick, but um, what I can tell you pretty definitively, and I said it off the top. Uh, Chris Beard, before he got to Texas Tech, was at Little Rock. And I do think like a big portion of the fan base three weeks ago when Mike Anderson was fired thought that that was the guy they were going to get, he or Kelvin Sampson. Um, And so when you compare Musk to those guys, like, yeah, okay, I sort of get it. I mean, look, Kelvin Sampson's made one Sweet 16 at Houston. Uh, Eric Musselman made one Sweet 16 at Nevada. I don't know why Kelvin Sampson is so much more universally regarded. But what I would say is like, yeah, if Chris Beard was the the benchmark, uh, yeah, I can understand a little bit of frustration from an Arkansas fan's perspective, but... I don't think they were getting him anyway. And then certainly after he made the run to the Final Four and now the national championship game, I actually give the Arkansas administration a little bit of credit 
not kind of, uh, you know, living in la-la land with their head in the clouds and saying, we have to move on to option number two. And so it's something that, look, whenever you don't get the number one guy that you want, there's always going to be a segment of the fan base that's disappointed. But, like, I'm with you. I, I don't really understand an Arkansas fan that that's sitting there kind of, you know, kicking their feet in the dirt all sad about this. Uh, I, I just – I don't see it at all. Uh, and I've been a little surprised, and I know that social media isn't always the best place to – to um, you know, I know that social media isn't always the best place to get a real reflection of a fan base, but I do think it, it has been a little bit of um, of a surprise to me that it's not more universally uh, uh, you know appreciated by the Arkansas fan base. Yeah, I mean, again, it all comes down to what you said about Kelvin Sampson. Just I think the, the sizzle that he had because he was a proven coach before he had to go to Houston, so I think that helped him a little bit more uh, than than. And Muss, and I don't think there was anything for people not to like about Eric Muslim, but I just think you and I, the you know hyperactive college basketball fans, we know the story. We know kind of you know it doesn't take much for him to get in and get and turn something around quickly. Um, in fact, that's the biggest selling point for them, and it's not it's not the only one. But he has been he has proven to really not need a whole lot to work with to uh, to make something out of it. But also, I think the Chris Beard factor. I don't know if there was ever any real. And I, I don't know if he was uh, – obviously, that would have been a great candidate for him. And he coached at Arkansas Little Rock. But, I mean, I don't think that's a close enough connection for people to think that that alone would make him want to get up and leave Texas Tech to go to Arkansas. Even though Arkansas is a better job, the, the, the gap's not big enough to where it would it would require him to, to leave a comfortable situation. But I have not seen much of the online reaction from it. And if, if, if there are – you know, you're right – Everybody should sort of remind, this, remind themselves of this often that what you see on the internet doesn't reflect the you know the, the wide base of a fan base. Um, but if they're complaining, I, I don't think they have much to complain about. But then again, that's me talking about somebody who's objectively looking at their program. Sure. Every fan base always looks at their job, their program a little bit better than it actually is. Yeah, no, and that's a totally fair point. And I, I'm 100% with you on Chris Beard. Is I do think, like, look, there's obviously probably a ton of overlap in the Arkansas Little Rock fan base with the Arkansas fan base. I'm sure probably some people that live in Little Rock are some of the bigger boosters to the University of Arkansas. And, yeah, I'm sure, like, in January and February – uh, you know, maybe some of the boosters were saying, hey, I wonder if I can get Chris Beard and they're putting out feelers and Beard saying, yeah, we could talk about it after the season without Chris Beard realizing that he's going to win a Big 12 title, uh, go to the school's first Final Four, play for the school's first national championship. And so I'm 100% with you. I don't know that Chris Beard spends the rest of his career at, at uh, Texas Tech. I do think that it's pretty impossible to ask anybody to leave a school like right after they made either their first Final Four, maybe win a national title. I mean, it's just it's just not going to happen, you know? And so, all things considered, I, I do like Muss at Arkansas. And I'll tell you this, and I know it's something that, you know, even though you're an ACC guy, you agree with me on. I mean, you add Muss in the mix with Rick Barnes and John Calipari and Bruce Pearl and Ben Howland and... Look, I mean, even Tom Crean made a Final Four. It was a, it was a you know, the, a dec- two decades ago almost, but he's coached in a Final Four. Tom he's- Crean's a good coach. Yeah, yeah, he's, I mean, yeah, he's I mean, good. We, we can make fun of Tom Crean, and I'm not saying he's a great coach. He is a good coach, he, and, and the grand team thinks he can win. He has won a lot more than he's lost. And, yeah, I want to clap back at all these people that are highlighting just how loaded this league is now with coaches and say, well, let's calm down, let's pump the brakes, because the AC still is still the premier league when it comes to coaches. And look, there are Hall of Famers in there. The ACC does have some really good coaches. But, man, the SEC from top to bottom – they do have. I mean, when you have to throw out Nate Oates as maybe being your 
one of your least qualified coaches, that's saying something. Look, I know the guy came from Buffalo, hasn't proven a whole lot as far as longevity, but that's a home run hire I think a lot of people see with Alabama. I mean, I think right now, who's the only coach in that league that you really just either don't think is any good for you don't know yet? I think, is it Jerry Stackhouse? I mean, is that the the only only one that you just simply don't think is any good? Yep, he is the only one, I will tell you. And look, there's no reason to think he won't be good. We just don't know. We have no clue. He's one of those guys who simply have no clue how to analyze what he's going to do. Well, here's the stat that I put out, Nick. There are 14 schools in the SEC, and as of this morning with Eric Musselman, all 14 have head coaches. Of those 14 head coaches, 11 of them have coached a team as a head coach to at least the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. Um, I believe it's five have made a Final Four, seven have made an Elite Eight. Um, but of the of the um, of the 14 coaches, 11 have made it to a Sweet 16 or beyond. The only ones that haven't, Nate Oates, who had Buffalo, freaking Buffalo, in the top 20 all season long. Kermit Davis, who just took Ole Miss from last place in the in the entire conference to an NCAA tournament, and Jerry Stackhouse. Now, and we know Jerry, and, and we know that Kermit Davis is a good coach. Exactly. And the the biggest highlight of this whole thing is that there are no bumps, mm-hmm. and you can you can't say that about any other league. You know what I mean? Like it, it's it, it. I wanted to be able to say, okay, come on, Torres, let's calm down, let's not get a little overexcited about the SEC, but it's it's the truth. They are loaded like I've never seen before. Well, and, it's, and it's unheard of because the SEC, five, six years ago, they, they, it didn't appear they gave a flying rat to SEC basketball out there a couple of other schools. No, you're 100% right. Um, a couple things. Um, one, and this was my argument with ACC fans, ACC fans got so upset, as they always do, and look, the top of the ACC is obviously amazing. Like, Tony Bennett's awesome. Roy Williams is awesome. Coach K is awesome. But I would say, first of all, most of the ACC's best coaches are going to be out within like the next four or five years. Bayheim's going to be gone. Roy Williams is going to be gone. Um, Coach K is going to be gone. Jim Laranega. And, and Bennett is arguably, I mean, not Bennett, but um, Bayheim is arguably one of the most overrated coaches. If you really look at what he's done for how long he's been there. Like, that was what got me, and I, hate, I didn't mean to cut you off, but that's what got me thinking I can't really make the case because if I wanted to lean on Bayheim, it would simply just be because he's been there so long. Exactly. And, and, and oh, by the way, the other part that no ACC fan wants to admit is exactly what you said a minute ago. Look at the bottom of the ACC. Look at Danny Manning, who's coach. Josh Pastner. Yeah, Josh Pastner, Jim Christian, the guy at Boston College, who I'm pretty sure nobody listening even knew the name of the head coach at Boston College. And so that's my only point. And I would say, too, with the SEC – I would say you have more guys kind of close to the the middle of their prime than the end of their careers when you talk about Buzz Williams. I think Bruce Pearl is on. <laughs> Bruce Pearl can stay out of trouble. He's got you know eight to ten years left. Calipari, I think, could be there another five, six, seven, eight years if he wants to be, um, even longer. Frankly, if he wants to, because he has a lifetime contract. Uh, you know, uh, Buzz Williams. I think I said Muss is going to be there five, six, seven, eight years if he wants to be. Mike White is obviously super young. Will Wade, if he, <laughs> if Will Wade can talk himself uh, off of whatever he uh, he's in the middle of, that's a guy that could be there for another 15, 20 years and so that's kind of you know it's one of those things right when people when people when when somebody like myself puts it out on twitter oh they got the best stable of coaches everybody gets mad and you can't there's not enough characters uh to provide any extra context as to what you mean by that but when you look at 
the middle and the bottom, it's certainly better. And when you look at the top, you don't have the iconic brand names, but you have guys that have, one, actually done stuff, but two, are not going to be gone in three, four, five years. So to me, that's that was the difference as far as I was concerned. And, and if you look at the – so let's take, like, I don't know, and I, and I have not ranked – the coaches in, in each league but if you take the you know let's let's say you had them ranked it wouldn't be crazy to think you'd have you know the eighth best coach here or the yeah the eighth best coach in in the ACC maybe it's I don't know maybe it's Brad Brownwell and you compare <laughs> him to Tom Crean those are both guys that nobody really gets excited about but if you really instead of looking at Tom Crean as the clown that he is and making fun of him, he's a damn good better coach than Brad Brownwell at Clemson. So that's kind of what, like, no matter what angle I tried to go at it, I kept coming back to, damn, it, it's the ACC's fine, but man, the SEC has loaded up with really good coaches. Yeah, I'm looking. It actually isn't nearly as deep in the ACC as I thought. So we have. I think three kind of Hall of Fame coaches that are mostly on their way out, uh, Roy Williams, uh, Coach K, and Jim Beheim. But I will say in Coach K and Roy Williams' defense, they're still doing it at a really high level. By the way, uh, Leonard Hamilton, who I actually think is really good, is 70. I mean, he's no spring chicken. He'll probably be out the next three to four to five years. And so you really look at it. The only- well, and, 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 and how, like, again, I think we're making the same – we're doing it without making the same point. We're, but how good is Leonard Hamilton? He's fine. But, how, you know, like how good is he? No, it's a great point. And like it, like uh, but, if, he, if he's top tier of your league, that's saying something about your league. Well, and I was going to say, when I look at the ACC right now, there are only two guys that are like either close to the middle of their prime, like basically that are in their prime that you could conceivably say that that are established and good, but that you could also say I could see them being at that school six, seven, eight years from now, and that's Tony Bennett and Chris Mack. They're the only ones. Everybody else is either seventy-five years old or they're Jeff Capel or Danny Danny Manning or whatever that isn't established. And so I think, like I said, you know, it's one of those where it's almost like when. Um, in baseball, right? Like you sign Albert Pujols to a 10-year contract and it sounds great on paper, but he's 32 years old and like, yeah, it's great you have Albert Pujols, but he's like almost done with his career. And like, I think Roy, like it's, it, it feels cool to have Roy Williams and Coach K and Jim Beheim in your conference. But as you said, Beheim hasn't been very good. The other two are like somewhere, I would say, north of 68 years old and going to be gone in a year or two or three or four. Yeah, and, and I, here's the thing. The timing just might not have been on their side because I do think what you're looking at here is, and, and I, I don't want to contradict myself because I actually think one of the things that's going to be happen soon is that whenever these guys do kind of hang it up, the Bayhams, the Shusheskis, the Roy Williams, maybe even the Bill Selfs, if he moves, I think another conversation for the day is that those jobs are so huge. Who's going to be proven enough to go take them? Yep. But anyways, that's a different conversation. But, my, but I think is the guys that were able to be plucked and end up in the SEC in the last two years, not just this offseason thus far, but the last two years, you know, those were that was good timing for the SEC. Don't you agree? I mean, that was it was a good timing for those jobs to come up the way they did because it kind of seemed like you were able to go out and pluck some guys that. Um, you know, just it, it just seems like a really compatible fit. It's not as if people are saying, "Oh man, look out, Buzz Williams is going to take A and M to the Final Four next year." But in all angles, that looks like a really good fit. And there's no, you know, we won't shock anybody. They've been at a high level. Well, and that's by the way, back to Chris Beard for a second. That's why uh, I don't think Chris Beard is leaving Texas Tech for an Arkansas type job. It's because, as you said, 
Bill Self, he might not be at Kansas very much longer. And Roy Williams certainly won't be at North Carolina. And Coach K certainly won't be at Duke. And there's only so many of those guys to go around. And I don't know that Beard would be a perfect fit for all of them, but I'm just saying is he does feel like one of those guys that's going to get the next huge job in the way that Calipari went from Memphis to Kentucky or Chris Mack went from Xavier to Louisville. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I don't disagree. I don't disagree with any of it. And, and like, I will say it is a credit to the conference. Um, you know, it's something I've talked about a lot, and I'm sure you and I have discussed on this show. But when the SEC Network launched whatever it was five, six years ago um, – the, the 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 league office basically went to all those schools and said, look, we got a lot of programming to fill once football season ends, and we need you guys to get on board with this. You're going to make a lot of money off this, this television deal, but we need you guys to give back and to make this basketball thing competitive. We need you to give a shit about basketball. Well, that is the less diplomatic way of, of saying what I was trying to get to. Yeah. yeah, it's like we need you to fucking care about basketball. So – Build the facilities, do whatever. And by the way, look at, by the way, with the SEC, some of the guys who haven't had success. Avery Johnson was an NBA head coach of the year, and it didn't work at Alabama. Now, I think they might have run him out a year too early, but that's neither here nor there. They got a good coach in his place. How about Frank Martin? He made a Final Four two years ago and has been completely off the grid since then. And so it just speaks to how, how quickly and how fast this thing has turned around. Yeah, and honestly, in that entire conversation, I didn't once think about Frank Martin. There he didn't come up, but he is a proven coach. He's made the Final Four. All right, and this is a perfect segue now to uh, – let me do the radio thing. Another guy who's a proven coach, Bruce Pearl. And so I do I do actually want to talk about um, the games on Saturday night, and then we'll preview the championship games on Monday, although I don't really know what there is to preview other than like – Oh, there's, it's going to be like 48-44 and unwatchable. But we'll get to that in a second. Um, what I did want to hit on with Bruce Pearl is Auburn and the way things ended. Because people ask me, you know, like, what, what were your takeaways from Saturday? And all I'll say is, like, Auburn got robbed. And Virginia might be the luckiest team in college basketball. Because, you know, I, I could sit here and we could break down the game and what went right and what went wrong. But here's the bottom line. It came down to a three-point foul at nearly the buzzer. There was like whatever it was, one second left in the game. That should have never been called. And the reason it should have never been called is because earlier Ty Jerome was dribbling the ball. It was a double dribble. It should have been a turnover Virginia, and the ball should have gone back to Auburn, and it's, there should have never been a situation where Samir Doughty had to foul um, you know, or did foul Kyle Guy with whatever it was a second to go. Credit to Kyle Guy for making the free throws. But again, that's my biggest takeaway. Those free throws should have never happened because the foul should never happen because the ref should have called the, uh, the, the double dribble. And so disappointing end to what I think was otherwise a relatively good game and obviously an incredible run for Auburn. Yeah, I mean, I, I went into this Final Four thinking that I had no rooting interest at all. Uh, and I was immediately proven wrong when the game started because I just can't, I don't know what it is, I can't root for Virginia. And I was so bummed to see that they still choked, and yet that wasn't the story. Now, obviously, Kyle Guy making three free throws in that situation to talk about clutch, but they imploded. They were up, what, nearly 10, and they did what Virginia always does in the tournament, yet this time around they can be the proof that, you know what, sometimes you need some luck on your side. They had luck against Purdue at the Yum Center. They had luck against... Um, you know, they didn't, Auburn. that's a dumb foul by Auburn. I don't even think that was a, I mean, I, what irritated me is that, yes, you can make the case that when he landed, the contact was there, it's a foul, 
But let's not act like the game is called the same for 40 minutes. You can argue that it should be, but it's not. That's not basketball. And to, you know, the, the fault relies at the, at the foot of Auburn there for making a dumb decision there to foul and not realizing you, you just can't be that close. But let's not act like that's a call. But like, if, if, it, if the call's not made, the noise is not nearly as loud about how the game ended. And the double dribble, not to sound like a basketball snob, but my, and I don't even know why it was a valid argument for people, at least they thought it was. When everybody kept saying, but don't act like you noticed that in real time. I did. <laughs> and I don't, you know, it's not because of a basketball genius. He clearly dropped it off the back of his foot. Nobody touched it. I thought that was very evident. So I don't know why, like, if you have to, if you have to argue and say, well, yeah, it looks like a double dribble, but you didn't even notice it in real time, so the refs weren't either. Well, I'm not paid to be an official. They are. They're supposed to know those kind of yeah. things. So I was upset that it ended the way it did uh, for a lot of reasons. And I'm not even like a big Auburn guy by any means. I just, uh, I guess, the, the, for me who just wants to see competitive action and have maybe a little bit of a little bit of interest in the whole thing, I guess now the only good thing is that when they play on Monday night, I will be rooting like hell for Texas Tech. And had it been Auburn and Texas Tech, I probably still would have leaned this beard and the, and the Raid, Red Raiders. But now I'm all in because I just don't want to see Virginia win. Yeah, a lot to peel back there. I mean, you know, I, I think a couple things. One, I do think, and this is something I think I might have talked about in the last episode, is I do think like the luck has come full circle for Virginia because, um, like people forget, like yeah, they lost to UMBC, but people forget DeAndre Hunter got hurt like a day before the NCAA tournament last year, and he was then and still is their best player, and that was like this incredible stroke of like historic bad luck, maybe not historic, but it was really really ill fated timing. And I feel like the luck has come full circle with, frankly, two of the most improbable wins that I've ever seen in the NCAA tournament. So that's one. But two, it's what you said, Nick, and this has been my thing that I've been hammering home for the last 24 hours as we record here on Sunday at about 7 o'clock Eastern time uh, at night, is that my big takeaway is very simply, maybe you noticed it in real time. Maybe I didn't. Maybe, uh, you know, your cousin Bill noticed it and I, like, it doesn't matter. What matters is, is that these refs are paid so well financially. They are schooled. You can't miss that call. Like, you just can't. And the other thing is, it wasn't as though it was a judgment call. This wasn't, is this a block or a charge? It wasn't away from the ball. It was right in the middle of the court with the entire world watching. And so I don't care if I missed it on the couch or you missed it on the couch. The refs can't miss it. And then on top of that, for the NCAA to not even put out a statement, to not, you know, this is my big thing. And, and Nick, you know I'm not like a big anti-NCAA guy. Like I don't think that the NCAA is this, this evil, terrible thing. But, like, there is something to the people who are saying, you know, these athletes, they don't get paid anything, yet they have to go to the podium, yet they have to sit in the open locker room and answer questions, the coaches have to answer questions, and the refs get to disappear out the back door and never be heard from again. Like, that was the part that bothered me. You missed the call, and then there's zero accountability from the people that there should be accountability for. Yeah, and that ref, by the way, is from Louisville. James Reading, I like former I, seat. What's that? I I know James Breeding because he was one of the refs in the six-overtime UConn game, and I interviewed him about that game many years ago. So I like James Breeding, but you can't miss that call. So continue. He's from Louisville. Yeah, no, he, he's the former COO of the Louisville Bats, which is the minor league baseball team, AAA team here in Louisville. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I just I, – and another thing that 
I honestly think when I say this, people kind of understand where I'm coming from. They just don't want to agree. But let's not act like there's not often contact late in games where if a foul is called, it's going to dictate the outcome and refs always swallow their whistle. I'm not saying that's right. That is basketball. If you watch enough basketball, you know that's the case. I can think of a few games this year where you could have maybe made a call, but you know what? Wasn't you know refs follow the whistles? They don't have the guts to make the call, and everybody's giving this guy a bunch of credit. Like man, he had the stones to make the call, and I just to me, I don't think you should have it. But then again, there's another conversation to be had about well, the game should be called the same exact way, start to finish, the entire 40 minutes. But I just I know that's not the case. That's never been basketball. So I kind of live in the world where we don't try to act like things aren't necessarily uh, you know what they are. But yeah, the. I, I can't imagine what it felt like to be an Auburn player to go out like that. I mean, and then and, and, and to kind of feel as if, I mean, those, my thing is the players probably didn't know. I mean, they, they when they walked off the court, they probably didn't realize the double dribble was missed. You know what I mean? And then they yeah. see that and they're just, they're, they're, they're probably still crying at this, to this point. No, 100%. And they all handle it so well. And it was just such a disappointing end to the game. Um, and oh, by the way, they were down 10 points with five minutes to go and came all the way back to take the lead. Um, it's just unbelievable. So uh, that was kind of my big takeaway from uh, Auburn and Virginia. It sounds like it was yours as well, Nick. Uh, anything big with Texas Tech, Michigan State? Because I'll tell you this, is that I turn on that game not knowing what to expect. And I really felt like within five minutes, not even five minutes, probably before the first TV timeout, I said to myself, as I watched Michigan State just try to move the ball as quickly around the perimeter as possible and have no chance at getting a good contested look, I just said to myself, I said, I don't think they've ever seen a team that defends this hard, that can close this quick on the perimeter. And I said, I don't know how they're going to score points tonight. And by the way, I don't know how Virginia's going to score points tomorrow, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I just, I, I watched that game, and within five minutes I said, I like Michigan State, they've been a good story. I don't think they're going to be able to score on them. That was basically exactly how it went down for 40 minutes. Yeah, the the first to 40 on Monday night is probably going to win this one just because there's not going to be a lot of offense. Um, and look, as much as I am falling in love with Chris Beard and this Texas Tech group because you know, you're know you going to hear it all day tomorrow. You're going to hear it during the game. You probably heard a lot about it leading up to their uh, you know, birth into the championship game, but they don't have any big-time recruits on that roster. And that's a good story. That's, it's nice to see. But when I watch them, it's not as if, man, can you believe – Nobody's like this. This team's not flashy. This team's not necessarily a lot of fun to watch if you're somebody that's into an entertaining style of basketball. Now, for me, I love watching a team kind of just, you know, kind of. I don't want to say bully you as if they get away with contact, but they're physical. They're disciplined on defense. They're going to not give. You're getting nothing easy. And I, we say that about a lot of defenses that they're you know make sure you got to earn everything you get. But there's the ultimate example of that because if you don't capitalize on the little chances you get to score, you're going to end up watching the film the next day, realizing that little things like that is why they're so good at what they do. So, um, you know, I, I think we're going to have a pretty ugly game, all things considered, um, just because of these teams are really known for their defense. But when it comes down to just guys who are going to be able to, 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 to make plays, I would lean Texas Tech's going to have the edge because they're going to make more defensive plays. And I think for for Virginia, let's say they win, and you and I are talking – the day after or, or the day after that, whenever it is. If Virginia wins the championship, I think it will be because DeAndre Hunter kind of has an out-of-nowhere out of, out of nowhere big-time performance. I think he's been pretty quiet in this tournament. 
not that he's been invisible, but like to me, Virginia has been talked about this year to be a little bit different than the other because of his upside and his versatility. And I think if there's a chance Virginia wins this one, it's because he's just simply kind of stepped out and shown what all he can do. But outside of that, I think it goes back to what you said. I just, at the end of the day, you know the game, you got to score more points than the other. And I think that Texas Tech's defense is going to be the biggest factor on, uh, on Monday night. Do you, um, but could, could you say the same thing about Jarrett Culver as you just said about DeAndre Hunter, though? Uh, Culver was awesome in a couple of the early. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was going to say, but he didn't play well at all. Uh, in the national semifinal, made a big shot, but yeah, he was he was not uh, not he's kind of invisible himself, right? Yeah, he had ten points. I, I I saw this stat. He has he had scored double figures in every game except one this season. Coming into last night, uh, just barely got to ten with I think five in the final couple minutes. But I think that shows you that he didn't have a good game as well. But I think it speaks to I don't know, Nick. I mean, you know, maybe my opinion will change once this game tips off. I don't have a great feel for this one. I really don't. I think, obviously, it's going to be really well contested defensively. Um, I don't think Virginia's seen anything close defensively to what they'll see tomorrow. Um, I feel like I like Texas Tech, but I also feel like every person I've heard that talks about college basketball for a living likes Texas Tech, which scares me. But uh, I don't know. It's just one I don't have a great feel for. Yeah, I just i am sold on the glue guys. Guys that don't like – what makes Texas Tech such a tough beat to me is that – the guys who have roles, it's not as if you need a good night. You know, it, 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 it's dictated by their effort, their physicality. Like a guy like Brandon Francis, who I love his story. Um, and, and, you know, he came up huge, and the stats wouldn't show you that. But if you just watch, I mean, he's right place, right time. And, again, I think with, with Texas Tech, the reason they win is because, again, everything that makes them good, it's not about getting hot from three. It's yeah. not about making sure, you know, you uh, – you know, you, you're right place, right time necessarily. It's just they're always going to be, when it comes to, and it's just such a corny thing to say, but they want it more in every situation. You can see that when you watch them. So um, I see, I feel Texas Tech's just going to kind of grit it out. But then again, you know, all year long, Virginia's been the better basketball team. But I just don't think, I mean, I, I, again, I think Virginia has played relatively similar to how they normally play. They just had a little bit of luck on their side. They were down double digits in the second half to a 16 seed still. Um, you know, their their game against Oregon, I think, was kind of an ugly, grinded out. They didn't really play well. And then the Purdue game is one where, you know, as you mentioned, they're, they're not coming off of the most two unpredictable tournament victories maybe we've ever seen. So I just don't think Virginia has looked at all like the team that I thought when I watched them play here in Louisville in uh, February. I mean, they're just, to me right now, they're, they're simply not as, they're not the scary team I saw a month ago. No, they're not. And that's my big thing. And it's funny because on our Saturday radio show, uh, we have a Vegas kind of insider guy, and he came on right after the point spread came out, and Virginia's about a one-point favorite. Uh, they were, I think it went up to one and a half maybe uh, after since that happened. And he said, I'm honestly kind of surprised that the number is that low. And I think what it speaks to is that it's it's the Vegas sports books reacting to the fact that uh, Virginia hasn't played all that well over the last couple weeks. And so I guess from my perspective, I do wonder, um, ha- like – has Virginia just not played well and gotten lucky? Are they due to are they due to uh, have a good game on on Monday night? Because that's just one that I just I, I really I honestly I, I I don't know how to feel because part of me just says like yeah Virginia got really lucky. They were also up you know what like I said ten with five minutes to go they could have easily closed out Auburn, but they didn't. And I would also add that there were a couple possessions in there at the end of the game. 
that was kind of quintessential historic Virginia where they needed a bucket, they needed it in a hurry, and they're taking 26 seconds off the shot clock to even get going, and then they got to jack up kind of an ill-contested three-pointer and stuff like that. So I'm just saying is like I I don't – like I said, I don't want to admit and say that I have a great feel for what's going on, Um, but what I would say is is that – is that like part of me doesn't buy part of me completely buys the narrative that Virginia just really hasn't been good. I mean, dude, you could even make the argument back to the ACC tournament. They lose in the ACC tournament to Florida State. They struggle against Gardner Webb for a game. Um, I guess they played well against Oregon in the Sweet 16, but then they struggle. I don't want to say they struggle in the Elite Eight, but they almost lose in the Elite Eight. They almost lose in the semifinal. So part of me buys that narrative, and then part of me buys the narrative that um, you know if they make one more shot, they probably bury Auburn, and it's not even close. It's just one where I just see both sides to it. You know what I mean? No doubt, and that's and I can appreciate your honesty. I don't think we get it uh, a lot of other places, but this is again yeah. this extreme. Like anybody who said they since they have a good feel for it, I don't know how much I believe them. They might think they do, but look. Virginia, they could they could be due because they've really not put it together so far in the tournament. They have had luck come their way, um, and, and that's true. Or they could come out and play kind of flat like they have been and realize, man, we've kind of had luck on our side. Shit, we're about to we really about to do this, and they could play tight. I could see that. But then again, maybe Kyle got three free throws at the end. Maybe that was enough to where they realized, holy shit, let's go do this. So it's it's impossible to get a feel for it, and in a way. I think that that's good. I mean, you know, you and I'd love to be able to sit here and say we made our, we, you know, we we took our shot, made our call, and predicted it. But it's a game that is very much a tough one to get a feel for. Yeah. Well, all right. So let's do it. Let's end like that. Do you have a prediction? I'll say this. Um, I'm, you know, I'm kind of tempering my expectations here. I don't know if you know this. I have a a a betting slip. Texas Tech fifty to one to win the national championship, and so. I won't be making uh wow. yeah, I won't be making Nick Coffee, you know, radio money or anything, but I'll get a little a little something something if they win, but I just feel like it's too obvious to say Texas Tech has been awesome, Virginia has been terrible, uh just hand Texas Tech the national championship. I will say the game is as ugly as we all expect. Um I will say that in the end uh Virginia does win the national championship. That will be my official prediction. Uh, as we get set to wrap up here, you and I, I should mention, by the way, as uh, I told you guys off the top, after Nick joins me, uh, Matt McMahon, Murray State head coach, live from Radio Row, I taped with him on Friday. Also, Wisconsin coach Greg Gard will be with me as well. So that is coming up. But I will say I will end this segment by saying I think I'll take, what did I say, 52 to 50, 54 to 50, whatever. I will take Virginia to win the national championship. Uh, and I say that as somebody that's really rooting for Texas Tech, but it just feels too obvious to say Virginia's been terrible, Texas Tech has been good, so that means that Virginia's going to win this game. I'm going Texas Tech is the Let's winner, 64-59 to 59 is your score. And uh, nothing would shock me. I don't have a ton of confidence. I will not be digging into uh, the Bet Now account to make a wager <laughs> on this one. Actually, I'm lying. I probably will when I get closer to it just because I like to have some action. Uh, sure. But I'm going, yeah, 64 to 59. Give me Texas Tech, the Red Raiders. Wow. 54 to 49. Is that what you said? No, 64 to 59. Okay. All right. We got a nice little high scoring game. That will be well over the over uh, that I think that Vegas is calling for. Um, but yeah. All right. So I got Virginia. You got Texas Tech. Uh, yeah. 
Let's see. Let's see you what happens. You hope I'm right. I hope. Correct? Oh, I have never hoped you're more right about anything, my friend. Uh, I've never hoped you're right, more right about anything. But I will say this is real quick. One last thing I do want to ask you. Are you in on this whole like this is bad for college basketball or like because because this absolutely can't... not. Yeah, I don't I don't believe it either. I, I just think I um I, I would I, I'd use my Friday show to let people know people if you're a college basketball fan you're obsessed, you're passionate about it like I am, don't let those people do it to you. This can still be enjoyable. The Elite Eight games we had, or that's justification that March Madness is the best. And even though the top of the top didn't feel like they're there, this is still worth watching. And, you know, uh, you know, don't don't let those – because that's what people are going to do, right? Those who don't follow it year-round, they were hoping to get to see Zion in the Final Four, Roy Williams in the Final Four, maybe Kentucky in the Final Four. And – I'll be honest, I was a little bummed, too, just because I like when there is some star power. Sure. But overall, the tournament's been great, and I don't think this is at all bad for college basketball. And I think the more teams you have, like Texas Tech, and even though Virginia spluttered with it, and they kind of became the joke in recent years, you know, this is big for them to finally punch in and get there with a chance to win it all. And I think the more teams that you have in the mix that feel like they can do that every so often, it's good for the sport. I really do. No, I, I don't disagree, and it's a great point, right? Like, at some point, Duke wasn't a brand, and then they kept knocking on the door. They win a national championship. They win the second one, and they're a brand. You know, UConn wasn't a brand at some point. Now it's a brand, and maybe this becomes the year that Virginia becomes a national brand. Tony Bennett becomes a national brand. Uh, people finally learn Chris Beard's story. And, I, and I, I'd also say, too, I think there's a couple things. One, um, it's the only game in town. Like the radio, you know, this was something I argued with my my radio partner uh, Arnie Spanier with. Is like the rating isn't going to be Zion Williamson good because by the way, Zion's Elite Eight game against Michigan State outrated like NBA West. It, it outrated NBA Conference Finals Game Seven last year. Like Duke Michigan State got more viewers than Game Seven of the Eastern Conference Finals between the Celtics and the Cavaliers. So obviously. Um, Nothing is going to outrate what Zion would have done, but there are no NBA games on on national TV. Nobody cares about baseball. Um, I don't want to say nobody cares about baseball, but you you don't care about anybody but your local team. There's no game. I don't give a shit about baseball. That's what I'm saying. Like, there's not going to be a game on Monday that you're going to be like, yeah, I'd rather watch like Padres Cubs than the national championship game in college basketball. And I think too by now. People are familiar with these teams. People do actually know Chris Beard's story. They do know who Kyle Guy and DeAndre Hunter and Ty Jerome and Kihei Clark are. So uh, I I think all of it adds up to I think it's going to be a a good game. It's going to be a competitive game. It's not going to be the prettiest game. It's going to be low scoring. You know, if you wanted 88-84, it's not going to happen. But I do think it's going to be competitive. I think it's going to be good. I don't think it's going to be like this incredible black guy for college basketball uh, that everybody says it is. And then, oh, by the way, even if it is, by Tuesday at noon, everyone's going to have moved on to the next thing, and it won't matter anyway. So, No doubt. I'm, 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 I'm dreading that it's going to be the end, but I'm going to, I'm going to embrace it and enjoy it. Well, now we get to hit uh, transfer market. We could talk big transfer news next episode. And, That's right. Uh, so, all right, Nick Coffey, you can hear him uh, 7 to 10 Eastern, 790 KRD in Louisville. Uh, Nick, I, I'll just ask real quick, is the new show going good? What are you, about a month in? I hear there's some moving and shaking going on. Yeah, it's been it's been going really well. I'm still adjusting. It's been one month since we made the move from noon to three to seven to ten in the morning, and you know you obviously just have a chance to reach more people in the morning drive. But I'm just happy that I've been able to keep the content and the show 
uh, very similar to what it was beforehand. That was my goal. And I will use this opportunity. I know we reach a lot of people uh, that love college basketball, that love college athletics, uh, that don't necessarily pick up 790 KRD because they don't live anywhere close to uh, to where I'm at. But if you want to check out the podcast, you can do it. I know you guys are already subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I'm pretty sure anywhere you can get this podcast, you can also get mine. And to be fair, it's not a podcast, but it is the show that is podcasted where you can listen to it on demand. Just search my name, Nick Coffee. It is the it is pronounced like the drink, but it's spelled C O F F E Y. So if you just search my name or if you search the red zone, Nick Coffee, you'll find it. And uh, I would certainly appreciate that. We have great guests like Aaron on, so I think you'll like it. Yeah. Well, uh, so that is so. What is the name of the actual podcast? I know you said you can search either one, but the Red Zone with Nick Coffee. Okay, easy enough. And I am on basically every Friday, so Friday's episode is a must. Uh, but yeah, no, that's right. That's awesome. All right, so make sure to follow Nick on Twitter at the Card Connect. Uh, find his podcast on iTunes uh, and hopefully subscribe to that one as well as this one. Obviously, a ton of overlapping content. And Nick, like you said, has a lot of great guests, a lot of great content, all that stuff. Uh, Nick, that is all, man, for today. I appreciate your time. No problem. All right. Next up, Murray State head coach Matt McMahon, followed by Wisconsin's Greg Gard. All right, and joining me in person, Radio Row, return guest to the show. I had you on about a year ago, Matt McMahon, head coach of Murray State. What's going on? Uh, great to be back, uh, coming off a, a really memorable year on and off the court. So looking forward to visiting again. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Okay, first question, most important question. When is the last day in your life that you weren't asked a question about John Morant? It's been months. Yeah, been I, months. Bet. I, I bet. I bet. I, my, I had some family that they were in Aruba, really? Aruba, wearing their Murray State gear, yeah. and people coming up to him asking about Ja Morant. It's, wow, it's, it's amazing. It's it's been, he's really turned into a rock star. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, up in Hartford, we're at uh, practice. Yeah, yeah, there you go. We're practicing at, at one of the high schools there, and as we're going to the bus, the entire student body is chasing him. Really? To the bus. I mean, he just, it's amazing what he's been able to do. I know it's been very well documented at this point, but just take us through, I believe it was an assistant coach, side gym, and then you flew up right away to make sure there's no ifs, ands, or buts, right? Yeah, no, we chased him that that entire month of July, and he came to visit. Uh, Great story. He's, He's on the official visit. He's scheduled to go to an SEC school the next weekend. And he comes in for dinner at my house. We got the whole team over there, and his dad says he's sick as a dog. Mm-hmm. He's got he's in the bathroom. Says he's coming down with something. So you're sitting there in panic mode. You got <laughs> you got this once in a lifetime player on your campus. Five minutes go by. I'm sweating now. Yeah. <laughs> and, you came uh, down with it too. Out, out of the bathroom comes John Morant, decked out in his full Murray State gear. Nice. And says he's ready to be a racer. His dad pulls out the hat. Uh, they got me good on that one. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's an, it's an amazing story. He was recruited. You know, I think that's kind of the one narrative that was missed. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely under-recruited. Uh, but people knew of him. And then he had a great freshman year. You know, he averaged almost 13 points, yep. six, seven rebounds, six and a half assists. Now, those numbers have only been put up eight times in the last wow. 25 years of college basketball. Guys like Jason Kidd, Penny Hardaway, mm-hmm. average players like that. Yeah, so, heard of those guys. Uh, he, he really is just once in a lifetime. What does it say, you know, 
the all these narratives about college basketball, some of them are overblown about guys transferring, transferring up, transferring down, et cetera. What does it say about a kid, and I hope this doesn't come off disrespectful sure. to Murray State, but has the chance to go to a Power 5 school, but he's comfortable with you, he's comfortable with your staff, he's comfortable with the program. I mean, what does that say, one, about the kid, but two, is that a lesson for that other kids should be be looking at is everybody's got to do what's best for them but sometimes just because it's bigger doesn't always mean it's better uh, you know I, I think it's a great credit to John and his family I think you have to find the right fit uh, when you go through the process you know where you he, I think the family atmosphere at Murray was great for him the style of play mm-hmm. uh, is a perfect fit for his game you know as his dad told me when he signed he handed me the keys and oh. said you're not going to hear from me okay you, you all help him become the best player he can be and I watched him on his first day on campus. I took those keys and gave him the job. <laughs> and I said, I'm going to be – I'm staying out of the way. I just want you to take off and, and enjoy it. But, you know, this is – when he gets his name called uh, there on June 20th and shakes Adam Silver's hand, he's going to be our third point guard drafted mm-hmm. since 2012. And Kentucky's the only other school in the country that can say that. So I think it just speaks to how important it is in recruiting that you find the right fit, the right coaching staff, the right style of play and so on and so forth. So I know you can't comment on this, but I'm just going to say it. I thought it was a BS narrative all year that you guys, the way you're playing with a future lottery pick, that people were saying they have to win the OVC. First of all, I would ask you this. Okay, so I had Bob Ritchie from Furman on the show not long ago, and he talked about the problem with scheduling, the problem with getting games. You know, it's easy for somebody in the media, well, not me, by the way, but <laughs> say like, oh, they look, look at who they played or they didn't play this team or that team, but – Talk to us, and this is no disrespect to any program. You don't have to name names, but how tough is it in the summertime to put together a schedule when everybody knows you got a, a lottery pick coming back? Yeah, it, it's challenging, and, and that's why I'll, I'll pull for Auburn this weekend. They're the only Power 5 school that's, that's right. come to Murray State in the last 30 years Wow, uh, to play on our home court. So always very thankful for Coach Pearl uh, being willing to do that. Uh, but it's, t- it's challenging, and yeah. I, I don't know how you find the right narrative to it. I, d- I don't know the answer. Mm-hmm. Could, could we have gone into the Big 12 and gone 6-12? and 12? I don't know. Yeah. I, I have no idea. I think we could, but you never know. Sure. So it's, uh, there's no perfect answer. There never will be. But I know I'm very thankful this year that I thought Belmont was deserving of an at-large bid. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was huge for our league. It was our first two-bid league since 1987. And then – both of us win games in the tournament mm-hmm. to, to back it up yep. and show that it was the right right move. So uh, don't know the answer to it, yeah. but you know, just try and stay focused on the things you can't control, which is, you know, asking you to help me find the next job, Moran. <laughs> what um? How much do you try to keep your players in that moment away from reading all the bracketology and all that stuff, and just say like we got to keep winning games. Don't worry about yeah. that. It's going to take care of ourselves. It's, it's probably boring, and, and it'll turn people away from the podcast <laughs> here. But we, we talk about toughness a lot in our program, mm-hmm. and we define it as focusing on the next most important thing. Sure. And that's all that matters. We lost on January 31st, and I told our team, we knew Belmont didn't – they had a pretty easy schedule down the stretch, uh, knew what they would finish. Guys, we can't lose. Mm-hmm. If you want to win the regular season, we got to win out. You want to go to the NCAA tournament? We got to win out through the all the way through to Evansville, and our guys just—that was the grand vision. Then it just was their maturity to stay focused on just winning a game at a time. And fortunately, we were able to win 11 in a row down the stretch and get to where we needed to be. 
Last couple questions, we'll let you go. Uh, the game in Hartford against Marquette, so so NCAA tournament opener, and it's funny, so I'm going to be filling in uh, with Chris Broussard on Fox Sports Radio tonight, and I went on his show that week, and I said, this kid, John Moran, he's the second best player in the tournament behind Zion Williamson. And Chris said, better than R.J. Barrett, better than this. My personal opinion, whatever. But you go out there, you show the world what Murray State's about. Josh shows what he's about. Certainly helped him as he gets ready for the next level, just with exposure and all that stuff. But watching that game, you guys just, I mean, you really, especially in the second half, were in complete control. He was in complete control as well. Did you ever pinch yourself? Was it surreal in that moment? Because it's like you're playing a, a, a Big East team that was ranked in the top 15 all year. And for lack of a better term, and I'll say it not you, but you were running them off the floor. So No, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> I, bet, I bet it was. It was a yeah. lot of, a couple of times, caught, my sm- caught myself smiling sure. uh, and enjoying the moment over there. But. Have you ever seen a player only take nine shots no. and dominate a game for 40 minutes? Yeah, It was just what a show he put on. But like I was asked after the game, to me it was just another day at the office sure. for him. You know, 17 points, 16 assists, 11 rebounds. But how about the electricity in the arena? Yeah. You know, I've been going to NCAA tournaments my whole life, first rounds, kind of yep. usually a little boring mm-hmm. uh, from a crowd standpoint. But, I mean, everyone – was on their feet the entire game, waiting to see what he was going to do next. Yep. So, uh, But, no, it, the, the best part about it was it was a total team effort. Awesome. And we dealt with some of the one-man team questions all season long. Yeah. But we had a very balanced team. We yep. had four guys in double figures. Shaq Buchanan's mm-hmm. one of the you know top, top 20 finalists for defensive player of the year in the country. Uh, we had a, a freshman guard who made 93s. We had a big man, Darnell Cowart who came in at 315 pounds and couldn't run up and down the floor twice this summer and ended up losing 45 pounds and averaged almost a double-double the second half of the year. So we we had a blast this season. It was an absolute joy to coach these guys. All right, last question you got to run here. Um, What's next? You know, post everyone – is focused on job, but you got a lot of guys coming back, and obviously, uh, you know, you've, you're building this for the long term. So. No, we really try and keep things simple. So for us, the attention immediately goes to how do we build our team for next season. Sure. And that's all we try to focus on. We went back to back this year. We never used the words back to back until we cut the nets down sure. in Evansville. Uh, just focus on how do we make the 1920 racers the best team we can be. We've got two great point guards coming in. They'll both be freshmen. Oh. So they got, they'll got they learn, but very, very talented players. We've got our entire front court back. Uh, we've got the freshman guard I mentioned, Tevin Brown, who made 93s. So we'll be different. Uh, but expectations never change at Murray State. Yep. We will be built to win. Fantastic. Uh, head coach Matt McMahon, Murray State. Appreciate the time. and. Second time, and I, I appreciate it just as much as the first time. All right, Aaron. Hey, and your tweets on Jaws Dunk against <laughs> Belmont were some of the best I've ever seen. There you go. That's Listen, I say I want to be informative, but I want to be entertaining too, and I try to. I always try to toe that line. But, look, John made it easy for me. He made me look good, so I appreciate that. Uh, I was definitely entertained. Thank you. All right, and joining me now live from Radio Row, the head coach of the Wisconsin Badgers, Greg Gard. Coach, how you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks well, for having me on. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Um, I, I don't want to start on a negative note. You know, I'm a glasses half full kind of guy. I thought you guys were the epitome of the gift and the curse of the NCAA tournament this year. You have an unbelievable season, and you just run into the hottest team, maybe the hottest team in America literally at that point. 
I mean, as you look back, I mean, I know you're so proud of everything that this group accomplished, but right. is there just frustration with, man, if we could have just avoided, with all due respect to everybody else, if, 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 if it was anyone other than Oregon, we feel good? Well, I think you, you look at the, uh, the tournament, and there's going to be a lot of those type of stories. Sure. Um, you know, and I, and I knew <laughs> sitting at my uh, couch after we lost in the Big Ten tournament to Michigan State in the semifinal on Saturday, I was back home watching games and watching the Pac-12 championship game. And my, across my mind, I hope we don't get Oregon. Really? There's no way they can be a 12 or a 13, right? <laughs> They'll put them, knowing we were going to be a 4 or 5, they were going to put them a little higher. Uh, and then I flipped this channel to the, I think, the WAC championship yep. game going, I hope we don't get New Mexico, Mexico State. State. Yep. And obviously Auburn is a you know missed layup away from or a turned down layup away from not being here. So it's just the, the, the beauty, the trials and tribulations of March and what the tournament can do to you. I mean, it can, you can have a great body of work. But if you have a bad stretch of, of a one game, for example, we had a bad five, six, seven minutes yep. against Oregon, and, and good teams are going to send you home. And obviously mm -hmm. we were playing a team that was playing really well. Seeds you can throw out the window. Mm -hmm. I think we've, we've seen that over the years, and that's been proven true, that there's so much parity in the league or in the in across college basketball. But I think the big thing is you step back, you appreciate the body of work, and, and uh, finishing fourth in our league. You know, 23 wins against the schedule we played, yeah. uh, you know, was a pretty good accomplishment. And that That's one of the big takeaways, the broader takeaways of the tournament for me is how good the Big Ten was. And, and, you know, you watch it night in and night out, and you think it's, okay, this is really good. But then you see Ohio State upset Iowa State. You see uh, Purdue a miracle away from being here themselves right. playing instead of as spectators. Uh, just take us through, Just you've been in the Big Ten for a long time. I can't imagine it's ever been top to bottom like this because I looked at the season and, and you know I'm a UConn guy so I followed Steve Peichel what he's doing at Rutgers right. is unbelievable and it's just it, as a, as a fan I watch and every night it was just like there are no nights off. Yeah, it's the best it's been and I've been in it 18 years. So this is the best it's been um, at least in that time, maybe even even further back. Uh, I think one thing we realized is we had some maybe some teams with some bad records, but there were no bad teams yep. in the league. And we went to 20 games this year, so we're the first Power Five to do that, to play 20 conference games, which added even more, a few more logs on the fire, so sure. to speak. Um, but it was, it was a every, no matter where you went, I mean, it didn't matter if you were home. Even 10 years ago, you could be at home and you, you felt a lot more comfortable. Now we're seeing, you know, home teams, it's not guaranteed. Mm -hmm. And I think there's just so much parity across our league, the depth of the league. Uh, obviously having eight teams in the tournament was big. Uh, but we saw teams maybe at the bottom, uh, so to speak, or teams you would think would be at the bottom were knocking off teams at the top regularly sure. as we went through the season. So um, it's it's a little stressful on the coaches. Sure. Life isn't really easy, but uh, I think from a league standpoint, from a parity standpoint, from the strength of our conference, it's as good as it's ever been. What do you think goes into it? I mean, obviously a lot of great coaches hired over the last couple of years, Chris Holtman, Brad Underwood. I mean, is it as simple as you bring in good coaches, good coaches, bring in good players, et cetera, et cetera? Well, I think schools understand who they are and what they need to be. And I don't know if there's any two schools or two programs in our league that are alike. You know, and I think that's one thing that's helped our consistency at Wisconsin. We understand who we are, what makes us good, what we can do at Wisconsin, what we can't do, who we can be, who we can't be. And I think other schools have found that too and some of that. Um, and it's, uh, like I said, there's been more investment in, in, some, in some programs. Uh, facilities have changed a little bit in some of the schools and, and improved, and that's always a constant arms race. You're always trying to improve and update and give a better experience for your, for your student-athletes. But I think that's the – Biggest thing is you look at the teams that have been consistently near the top or at the top. They have a 
the the recipe for how they do things stays pretty consistent year in and year out and has done it you know 10 15 sometimes 20 or more years you said uh, teams are aware of who they are who would you say or who what do you tell recruits when you're in their home who wisconsin is well i think the first of all you got to understand from a university standpoint what what makes the university of wisconsin what it is it's a great academic institution academics and your degree progression and completion are really important we value that and that's part of who we are I think understanding where you're at, you're at the up, in the upper Midwest, so you consider climate, even though that doesn't always be at the forefront of somebody's decision-making list. At some point in time, it does get addressed, especially if you're recruiting nationally. We do a little bit of that, but our fingerprint or footprint more or less is in the Midwest, in the Big Ten viewership area. Um, but I think just understanding what works at, at your institution and what you need to have for an academic profile. And, and the type of – we've been very big on development of players, you know, and, and helping Ethan Happ's a great example. Somebody that came in very lightly recruited, not really well known, uh, outside of, you know, a general area of within 200 miles of his hometown of Milan, Illinois, but evolved into one of the best players in college basketball this year. So I think just understanding who you are and what it takes for your program, and like I said, it's different at every school. Um, but understanding that is a big piece of, of why we've been able to sustain what we've done. Very interesting. So anyone who follows your team knows a lot of seniors this year, obviously highlighted by Ethan Happ. Like what's the next step for you guys, or, or who are the guys coming up? Because the viewers, basically, the guys that were on the court are the guys that we all know, you know? Well, the core the core were all sophomores. The bulk of my guys were, were sophomores, so we got a lot of guys back. We'll okay. lose Ethan Happ, which obviously we lose our poster child, so to speak, and he's done a great job of, you know, 2,000 points, 1,000 rebounds. He's reset the record books in a lot of categories at Wisconsin. Uh, we lose Khalil Iverson, who started on the wing, and then a backup post player in Charlie Thomas. So I could have sworn you lost more guys. I apologize. No, that Bad question it. by Two me. Bad question. And, and, uh, but like I said, most of the rotation is back. Um, we got to continue to take another step, and that's part of the player development that I talked about. Guys that have experience as freshmen and sophomores, now that become sophomores and juniors, need to take a big step. And that's what the offseason is about, and that's the challenge that – We'll start next week as we start spring workouts. Okay, so Brad Davison, have did did, did were you aware that like people on the internet? I know the internet's a terrible place, but like right. the way that he plays, he takes charges. He's a coach's son. He used to play football. I feel like he gets a bad rap. Yeah, I mean he's he's a, the one of the best leaders I've ever been around. Interesting. One of the best people I've ever been around, and he he plays the game so hard and tries to do. You know he's. He's limited. He'll admit it. He's limited. Sure. At, so he has to, you know, try to, as we, every player has little tricks, so to speak, sure. or uh, nuances to their game. That, uh, But he understands who he is and what makes him successful. Plays the game extremely hard. Is a terrific leader. Is a terrific locker room guy. Um, there's no doubt his his impact on our program has helped, you know, us transcend to 23 wins this year. And and his growth and development. He played hurt last year with the shoulder coming out all the time. So mm-hmm. uh, I have a ton of respect for Bradford. Everybody sees who he is on the floor sure. and what he does, diving on the floor, taking charges, all those type of things. The emotional leader, so to speak, wears his emotions on his sleeve. But I see what he does off the court, what he does in our community, what he does in the classroom. And there's he's the type of guy you want your daughter to marry. Okay. And that's the type of impact and type of person that he is. And uh, has had a great impact on our program, both in the two years so far and obviously the upcoming future. I can't be more excited to coach him and 
and how he's helped lead our guys. I was going to ask you, kind of just reference it right there, you know, somebody you want to marry your daughter. You said he's one of the best leaders I've ever been around. That stands out to me with all the great teams that you guys have had. Yeah, and I think sometimes your best leaders, um, he's, he's a combination of vocal and example. Interesting. You know, we've had a lot of guys that have come through that maybe don't talk a lot, uh, but they lead by example. Orlando Tucker, school's all-time leading scorer, was a runner-up to Kevin Durant for player of the year, uh, his senior year. Didn't, didn't talk that hard, but when he did talk, everybody listened because they saw how hard he worked and the example he set every day. We've had other guys that maybe don't score a lot of points. Josh Gosser was a, a starter on our two Final Four teams in 14 and 15. Doesn't say a whole lot, but when he did command, when he did need to speak, he had everybody's attention and averaged six points a game. Sure. You know, So it doesn't need to be the Ethan Haps of the world or the, uh, the star player, so to speak, to be the leader and the glue in your locker room. And those guys in their own way, have been kind of the mortar between the bricks, so to hmm. speak. Gosser, Davison, you know, Tucker was a star, but also a leader in terms of how he went about his, his daily approach. Um, so they all come in different shapes and sizes, but I think that's one thing you, you, you appreciate as a coach, that they, they all learn to do it in their own way. And I think that's the evolution Brad has learned, that there's sometimes I have to lead by putting my arm around a teammate. There's sometimes I have to lead by getting a little more vocal and, and getting after guys and, and finding that. It's kind of like a coach. Sure. You know, you have to find what buttons to push. And uh, I think Brad has done a, a very good job of, of navigating that and, and infiltrating uh, his personality and his feistiness and competitiveness within our locker room. All right, last one because I think they need to take you here. Um, just you, you mentioned the team, core of sophomores, just in, in a minute or so or even less. You know, what has you most excited about the 2019-2020 Badgers? Well, I think the, the anticipation of the unknown. Sure. I, I think the growth for this group is uh, – is immense. We're going to be different. We're going to look different than than having. Obviously, we had to play a lot through Ethan, and rightfully so because he was he was highly productive. But I think our we'll, we'll have a little different feel to us. I think the experience that these guys have gotten and how they grow in the offseason will be big. Uh, we have one senior next year, and Brevin Pretzel, a fifth year guy, so he he'll he'll, uh, he'll help lead the charge along with Brad and that other core group of juniors. But the jump that they will take, and I think now that it's almost it's their time to the man the torch has been passed to them so to speak so i think we'll see personalities and and games evolve in ways that maybe didn't evolve before because they were um you know we had to do what we had to do to to be the best team we could be and that was play a lot through ethan happ and uh that our identity will change a little bit all right coach greg guard wisconsin you gotta run but i they're they're pulling me yeah they are i'm getting the evil eye here so i appreciate the time we'll talk soon thank you thanks for having me